You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. All right. Welcome to my podcast. A new venture. Some of you know me from the radio. Some of you know me from TV. Some of you just follow me on Twitter. I really appreciate Revolver and Gen Media just bringing me into this new format and allowing me to share what I've been doing on radio for the last five years with a wider, broader audience. And I'm hoping you really enjoy the show. I uh, attack politics from a progressive point of view. I, I don't think I'm partisan, although you might think I'm partisan. I like progressive ideas. I like things that move the country forward. I like things that recognize people, no matter where they're from or what they're doing or who they love or how they worship or whether they worship or not, as human beings. And everyone's given an opportunity to advance and grow and thrive in the United States of America. So here it is, the inaugural episode of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation a of the ballot, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right, welcome to the show. A lot to talk about, America. We're living in strange times. We're living in interesting times. We are bombarded with information. We are meant to feel outraged every day, and, and sometimes that's justified. Sometimes it's not. But we've got to get it together, and we've got to focus our energies on one thing and one thing only. Assuring that our systems of checks and balances hold and assuring that the American people know the truth 
and understand what's really going on on this planet. Understand what's really going on in this country where you have a president of the United States who says he's for law and order, but has shown time and time and time again that that is just not what he's about. No, America, what he's about is the exact opposite of what he claims to be about. He has flouted the law. Congress says, give me your tax returns as they are entitled to by law. He says, no. Now, we could argue whether or not it's politically, if it's correct that Congress seeks the president's tax returns for what may or may not be political reasons. Look, uh, I, I think Congress has a legitimate interest in understanding how this president is financed, whether he's financed by a foreign power, whether he has been proper in the way he has used the tax system in this country, whether the tax system that he's put in place benefits him directly. Every other president since Nixon has had no problem uh, delivering his tax returns, not just to Congress, but to the public. Remember, the Ways and Means Committee would not be allowed to release the president's tax returns to the public. So if there is an argument that this is some sort of political game they're playing, well, take that away for a minute. So we're living in interesting times. We've got a president who constantly talks about immigration and his followers say, well, we're for immigration. We just want people to follow the law because we're for law and order. But the president, even in executing his immigration policy, has failed to follow the law. Not only has he failed to follow the law, he's encouraged, he encouraged his director of ICE to break the law and has said on at least one occasion that he would pardon him if he was ever arrested for violating that law. Now, America, these are the conversations we need to have with our conservative friends. And and, and I have many conversations with conservative friends. As you know, I, I'm a regular on Fox News. My radio show runs on conservative stations. Later on in the program, you're going to hear an interview of mine with uh, Amy Holmes, who's a conservative, but we're talking about the new mayor of Chicago, who is most definitely not a conservative and somebody who Amy has been writing about in a very positive way, Um, a woman who's really going to take America by storm, first African-American woman, first lesbian, openly gay person to be be mayor of Chicago. It's it's, uh, interesting, and it's an interesting interview, and you're going to enjoy it. But we have to talk to our conservative friends. And we have to point out the hypocrisy, not only in Donald Trump, but in themselves. Uh, I have been dumbfounded when people shoot back at me about law and order when talking about immigration. When this president has, he has, he has um, flouted the Constitution. He has ignored court orders. He has told his people to commit crimes. Most notably, I mean, look, Kristen Nielsen resigned a week ago, and I don't think Kristen, Kristen Nielsen was uh, a great human being. I really don't. I, I think she was a horrible Secretary of Homeland Security. I think she was underqualified. I think that she was uh, a cruel person. But, you know, she did at least follow court orders. And she did at least say to the president, when the president said, deny all applications for asylum, she said no, she would not do that. And the president wants to get tough, he says. 
So he fired her, a woman who was willing to put children in cages for this president, to a woman who was willing to separate families, children from their parents at the border, people who are struggling to breathe free, people who have crossed a desert because it is a safer bet than staying at home. She wasn't tough enough. The woman who would take those people and separate them from their families. No, look, it's not that she wasn't tough enough, America. She had the nerve to say she wouldn't break the law after the court told her it was breaking the law for this president. She wanted to not be a lawbreaker. So now the entire Homeland Security Division, it appears, is, is being run by acting an acting Homeland Security Secretary, an acting Deputy Secretary, acting Directors of ICE, acting Directors of the Secret Service America. The Secret Service does more than protect the president. Let's be clear about that. They investigate financial crimes. That is actually one of their primary responsibilities. They used to be part of the Department of the Treasury. wonder why the president would be interested in having an acting Director of the Secret Service charged with investigating financial crimes. I wonder how many of these financial crimes this president is concerned about. So law and order, they love to talk about law and order. The president goes, I'm the law and order president. The only law he believes in is the law that comes out of his distorted mind. He wants to distort the law. He wants to claim the law. He thinks he's above the law. And yet his people want to shoot back at progressives when they talk about immigration, when they talk about asylum, when they talk about a process. They want to shoot back that they're about law and order, that these people who are coming here are breaking the law. Well, yeah, you know, in some cases they are committing misdemeanors if they cross the border illegally. But if you're seeking asylum, you're not breaking the law. And the president wants to break the law to deny those people asylum. Now think about this for a minute, America. Think about this if this was you. There but for the grace of God go I. I say that all the time. Think about this if this was you. You are sitting in your home and you're presented with a choice. Your child joins a gang or we kill you and your child right here on the spot. Your daughter is taken into the sex slave and taken into the sex industry by these people or you're shot and killed here on site. And you're in a country where there is no law and order. You're in a country where the police are feckless against these gangs. What do you do? What do you do? You leave that country. You leave that country with nothing but the clothes on your back. Some of them don't even have shoes on their feet. And you cross a 1,500-mile desert to get to the United States border to seek asylum, to flee from this violent, deadly situation, to come to a place where they're is a chance for a better life, a chance for a better tomorrow for not not only you, but most importantly for your children. And then you get there, you get there to a country now run by Donald Trump, which may separate you from your children as a way of deterring further people from coming here. I mean, I don't know how, what could be, what could deter you from leaving the situation I just described. Or you're, you're, you're forbidden from even applying for asylum. Then what do you do? Do you try to cross the border illegally? What do you do? What would you do for your family to get here, to get out of that situation, to find a better life? You know, they say that this country is full. Uh, I, I don't know. I've been around this country. It's not full. 
they say that there's no jobs for these people. I, I got news for you, America. There are more job openings right now than people looking for jobs. And that goes doubly so if you are a manual laborer, somebody who's going to come here and work in the fields, or work in a factory. So I don't, I don't get this fear mongering against these people who are just trying to get a better life. I mean, I, look, I'm a child of immigrants on both sides of my family. Uh, my Italian family fleed Sicily, fleed the, fleed, you know, fleed the mafia and Mussolini in the 1930s and 40s. And uh, on my German-Jewish side, they fleed, fleed Hitler and originally were turned away here in the United States. My grandfather initially was turned away, was sent to England. And then he came, uh, eventually got here. And when he got here, he joined the army, went back there, fought in World War II. Just died a year or two ago. But what were they looking for when they left? Why is their situation different than the situation of people in the Central America right now that are in lawless countries being dominated by gangs, drugs, by the way, drugs that are bought mostly in the United States. Why is that different? Why do we think that we're better? Every single one of us, every single American, unless you are a Native American or a descendant of, of an immigrant who came here looking for a better life for themselves and their families, every single one of us, some of us came over on boats with sails. Some of us came over on boats with engines. Some of us came over in planes. Some of us walked. But we all came here for the same reason, a better life for our families. And we were usually escaping something that was pretty horrible. My grandfather got out on the kinder transports shortly after Kristallnacht. And had he stayed, he'd be dead. Most of his family, if not all of his family, died in the Holocaust. How is that different than the death and destruction facing people in the central in Central America being forced to join gangs, being forced to uh, have their daughters sold into sex slavery? How is that different? How is that better? it's 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 horrible. it's it's a parade of horribles, and we have a president that does not care. So here's another hypocrisy I want you to point out to your friends on the right. And, and believe me, they are your friends. Evangelicals, America. If we could get the evangelicals to stop buying into Trumpism, Trumpism is dead. He has a ridiculously high approval among evangelicals, mostly because he is anti-choice and has put anti-choice judges of their choosing on the bench, not only the Supreme Court, but on lower courts. And it will have an impact for 20 to 30 years in this country, the judges he placed. But they turn their back on everything else the Bible says. And, and, and frankly, I don't know that the Bible is anti-choice. But they turn their back on everything else the Bible says about helping the poor. Matthew 25 has no meaning meaning at all for them. That what you do unto the least of them, you do unto Christ. I mean, these are the same people who cried, what do we tell the children? What do we tell the children? When Bill Clinton was president and we were talking about the Lewinsky affair, they wanted him to resign. Meanwhile, we have a president who has been raw-dogging porn stars two at a time. 
who, while president of the United States, was paying off a porn star. God knows what else we don't know about him because there are lots of non-disclosure agreements out there about this president. But even if you look at you look throughout the Bible and how it says the poor should be treated, the people who are suffering should be treated, the people who are afflicted should be treated, you would think that evangelicals who believe that, I assume, believe that they should be treated well, that they should be cared for, that they should not be turned away. The Bible literally says they should not be turned away. You would think that that would matter to them. You would think that they would care about that and that the president's action towards the poor, particularly these poor people fleeing Central America, coming here to try to taste freedom and a better life for their family, you would think that the president's treatment of these people would turn them somewhat against this president. But it hasn't. Poll after poll after poll shows that evangelical support for President Trump is... Steady, in the high 80s. I don't know, maybe because they're living in a bubble. Maybe because we've decided to stop talking to our conservative friends, our Christian friends, about politics because it is so painful for progressives to talk to conservatives about this, especially ones we love and care about. I know I'm having a problem with some people in my own family. Maybe we have had Maybe this is why that evangelicals are still so supportive of this president. They're living in a bubble where they believe that the people coming to this country are all gang members trying to infiltrate America, which is clearly not the case. Yeah. Do I think there are some bad apples in these caravans and in these other people presenting themselves at the border? Absolutely. I think there are some. There are bad apples in every bunch. Weed them out. That's your job, Mr. President. Weed them out. That's your job. It's not my job. It's your job. But that doesn't mean you turn away the whole bunch. Could you imagine if the Mott's Apple Company threw out a whole batch of apples just because there was a bad one in it? They'd make no profit. Let the market be your guide, conservatives. You always like to say that too. Let the market be your drive. And part of this influx here is that there is a market for the labor of these people in the United States of America, a market that conservatives have refused for 30 years now to address since Reagan. They have refused to address the market in this country that drives cheap labor here. People willing to work hard to escape a bad situation for a better life for their family. That is something that's a broader, bigger story, a bigger problem, probably a whole show we need to do and bring in some experts to talk about immigration reform as a whole in America because there's a market driving people here and there's an immigration system that is outdated and is not capable of addressing those market concerns to bring people to this country. Not only people who want to be here permanently, but people who want to come here temporarily and work and then go home. There's a lot of that. Oh, we love markets. We're capitalists. Oh, the Democrats are all socialists, they say. No, there is a market right now that is driving people to the United States of America. It's not only people fleeing atrocities in in Central America, but there are people who come here from Mexico and other places where, well, maybe their economy is not great, 
And if you come to America and you work for six months and you go home, uh, you could sustain yourself for a year. You could sustain your family. Maybe you could get a better house. Maybe your kids could go to a better school. But conservatives don't want to address that market either because they have whipped their base into a frenzy about these people, saying that these people are the enemy. These people are out to take your jobs to make your life worse because there's so much anxiety among the white working class in this country about the competition they are now facing, not only from people from abroad, but people within this country who now have expanded rights, who are now not being discriminated against in the workplace. And they feel that they're losing their place in society. Well, I say this to you, suck it up, compete, adapt. You know, that's the thing about capitalism. If you don't adapt, you don't survive. And all these people out there calling me a socialist on a daily basis uh, on Twitter and on other social media things, you know, they should understand that if they're not willing to adapt, they will not survive. And that's capitalism. I've adapted. My father was a truck driver. I'm an attorney and I'm a political pundit. I adapted. I learned a skill. I moved on. So if you think your factory job is still going to be here 10 years from now or 20 years from now for your children, you are crazy because it's not people crossing the border from Mexico that's taking your, uh, your factory job. It's your company modernizing, making everything more efficient, bringing in automation that does the job 24 hours a day, seven days a week, better than you do. And if you don't adapt to that change, no amount of yelling and screaming at immigrants trying to get a better life is going to change that for you. So you need to adapt. Maybe that means you need to take a job like one of these jobs the immigrants take when they come here, working in fields, cleaning houses. Or maybe that means you got to go back to school and get a different degree. Maybe you need to learn computer skills, but you need to adapt. And I get it. Uh, President Trump, President Trump wants you to think that keeping people out of this country is going to secure your jobs. He wants you to think that he could bring back automated, uh, he, he, he wants you to think that he could bring back factory jobs when he just hasn't done that. Even the carrier plant, which he claimed to have saved after the election in 2016, they, they cut most of those jobs already, mostly because of automation. And guess what's speeding up automation, America? The president's tax cuts, which are giving corporations more money to further automate, which will eventually lead to fewer jobs. But that said, we have full employment right now in this country. We could take in some more. We could bring some more people in. Last point I'm going to make before the interview with Amy Holmes, who's a great interview, by the way. Last point I'm going to make is this whole idea that the president floated last week or floated, asserted (laughs) that he is going to take these asylum seekers and bust them to sanctuary cities. Now, uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. New York City has been handling influx of immigrants for 200 years. And guess what? That's what makes New York great. I'm sure San Francisco and Houston, Miami, Chicago, all these cities can handle it as well. What I am against is the president using these people as pawns in some political game. I am against this president 
using these people as chattel. And you should be against it too. It is disgusting, America. It is not something that we as good people should believe in. It's not something that evangelicals should believe in, should allow somebody who claims to speak for them, who claims to be a, quote, man of God. He's clearly not. He should not be allowed. There should be, he's allowed to say whatever he wants, right? But there should be some consequence to the language that this man chooses to use when he's talking about human beings. He's talking about human beings, America. People with hopes and dreams. People who are trying to escape atrocities and he's treating them like garbage, saying he's going to dump them on America's cities. Now, I don't know if that's okay by you, but it is not okay by me. It is not a polite thing to do. It is not how you treat human beings. And somebody needs to stand up for it. Somebody needs to stand up to him because this is a... It's ridiculous. Anyway, look, I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. This podcast is going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to have some good guests. I got a good guest coming up right after this break. Her name is Amy Holmes. Uh, you've seen her uh, you know, on, on Real Time with Bill Maher. You've seen her on CNN. You've seen her on Fox. Uh, she writes... And we're going to talk about the new mayor, newly elected mayor of Chicago. So uh, stick around. I'll be right back. But join me right now, good friend of the show, good friend of mine, Amy Holmes. You know her, you love her, former aide uh, in the Senate to the Senate Majority Leader, Bill Frist. And, of course, you see her on TV, you read her column. She's got a great column out right now about the new mayor, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, who, when does she take office in Chicago? Great to be with you. Hey, Thank buddy. you for having me on. Thanks for coming. Uh, Lori Lightfoot is sworn in to be the new mayor of Chicago May 20th. May 20th. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure she, why, why she wants the job to be. <laughs> that is a tough job, right? I mean, Chicago is a, a, an interesting city. First of all, I love Chicago. It's one of my favorite cities to go to in the United States. And there are parts of Chicago that are just awesome. And then there are parts of Chicago that are, you know, that are, are are being torn apart by gang violence. And it's a very difficult thing. And there's a ton of corruption in the government. I mean, there was a great show on stars that starred Kelsey Grammer called The Boss. I don't know if you ever saw it. Oh, I remember ads for that. Yes. Oh, it was awesome. It was so awesome. I'll tell you this this quick story, this quick anecdote before we get into the real conversation. So I, uh, I walk into the green room at Fox. Now, I was binge watching The Boss like the weekend before. I had, somebody had turned me on to it and I was binge watching it. It was so awesome. And Kelsey Grammer was terrifying in it. Like it, it was like it was totally against type and he was oh, awesome in the in the role. He was just this terrifying thug politician. And uh-huh. I walk into the green room of Fox and who's sitting on the couch but Kelsey Grammer and I got scared. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, because I thought of his character. Because I had just literally spent eight hours over that that weekend before watching Kelsey Grammer in that role. So it was like you were just sort of 
totally immersed in this idea of him being this evil villain. Now yeah, villain he was this evil, like, murderous mayor of Chicago. <laughs> and it was like, you know, like, it was before House of Cards. Like, it was like, it. it's kind of like what House of Cards was in the first two seasons. And, uh-huh. and, and, but worse, like worse, like he was just bad. <laughs> was, well, know. I'll tell you from, you know, the research that I did for the piece, that, and I did lots and lots, including reading up on even Al Capone uh, to kind of better understand Chicago. Chicago is uh, considered uh, by scholars the number one most corrupt city in the United States. And uh, the number of arrests and convictions of public officials for public corruption actually is even higher than Los Angeles or New York, which are both cities much bigger than Chicago population-wise, uh, Miami, Washington, D.C., etc. cetera. Uh, and Lori Lightfoot, so here's, you know, I don't think we've told our listeners yet what part of what is really extraordinary about her, you know, winning uh, this election is she will be the first black female and first out uh, person, first lesbian, to be mayor of Chicago, and even like even more to me telling than all of that, she never she's never run for political office before. Yeah, and she beat the Democratic machine candidate. She's also a Democrat, but she beat the machine candidate, who, by the way, is the president of the Democratic Party for Cook County, you know, which is uh, the county where Chicago is. She beat that person uh, uh, seventy. Let me ask you, so where did she come from? Like, let's, 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 let's do a little bit of background on her. Cause I'm, I think people are fascinated by her and I want your take on who she is, where she comes from. Mm -hmm. You know, tell me about her a little bit. Sure. Well, so she is the youngest of four kids. She uh, was born in a small town in Ohio. And uh, then she, you know, uh, very obviously very ambitious, smart, hardworking person, um, ended up getting a full ride scholarship to the University of Chicago Law School. Uh, She graduated. So, you know, there she was back in Chicago, graduated. uh, Well, at least she stayed in Chicago since 1986. Uh, so, you know, she's gone native, obviously. She's now the mayor of Chicago. Uh, and she got involved in politics in part uh, through Rahm Emanuel. So Rahm Emanuel had appointed her to a police uh, review board. And during her tenure, 72% of police officers that were investigated were uh, fired. And then there was the shooting of Laquan McDonald, a 17-year-old who yes. was shot by cops. He was zigby Constantly called that they thought that you know it was thought that he was trying to break into trucks or something in a parking lot. Cops show up. Apparently, he's zigzagging. He has a little knife, but he's zigzagging away from them, and the cops riddled him with bullets. I think he was shot like sixteen times. Wow! And refused to release the body cam footage for over a year. And Rahm Emanuel was trying to suppress that footage. It finally came out, and it completely contradicted the police officer's written you know, statements and reports about what had happened there. And he was a huge scandal in Chicago. Uh, you know, that the and and she them. was involved in that, in uncovering that scandal. Well, so once the scandal exploded and basically exploded uh, Rahm Emanuel's mayorship, uh, he then appointed her to a task force to, you know, like a special task force to look into all of this. Like, wasn't, you know, I happen? mean, l- let me just go back a little bit. It wasn't Ron Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel, who was covering it up. It was the police commissioner that was covering it up. Rahm well, Emanuel he, was supporting his police commissioner, as most mayors correct. do in that situation, but it wasn't him specifically covering it up. 
No, not that we know, that he personally was instructing them to keep it under wraps. However, Rahm Emanuel was getting, you know, tremendous criticism for supporting his police. Yeah, uh, ultimately the buck stops with Rahm Emanuel. And when the when the information finally became public, the commissioner had to go. And then, you know, Rahm Emanuel had no choice but to not run for reelection, really. Well, he did not. He didn't uh, pull out, you know, uh, drop out of running for a third term until Lori uh, Lightfoot threw her hat in the ring, interestingly enough. And so I also spoke with Christine Pelosi, the uh, daughter of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Christine, of course, is a big Democratic Party insider uh, and has done campaign coaching. Friend of mine. I used to be in a think tank with her back in the day. Back when I did that think tanky kind of thing. So I really like her. Was so appreciative of all the time that she took to chat with me and share her insights. And uh, she said, "Look, don't appoint someone to a task force and then not take their advice," uh, which is what happened. Right. And so Lori Lightfoot started gaining, and and so she was the first person to challenge uh, Mayor Emanuel. Uh, other Democrats thought, like you know, he's. Uh, he's so powerful, he's unbeatable, and she thought, you know what, I'm going to take a shot at it. And so he didn't drop out of the mayoral, the, the race until the fall. Uh, so she'd uh, thrown her hat in the ring, or, you know, the spring, summer. Uh, and then interestingly, again, with Ms. Lightfoot, she was in a field of 14 candidates. Yeah. And she was up against Bill, uh, you know, Bill Daly Jr. Yep. Uh, you know, obviously the Daly Machine and all of these other, uh, you know. And he didn't even make trends. it to the runoff, Bill Daly Jr. No, he did not. Yeah, because no, they have not. a uh, they have an open primary system in in um, in Chicago where mm-hmm. the top two vote getters face each other off in in a uh in a general election a jungle primary yeah. as, as as it's called uh so it's 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 i love that system i think that's the way it should go i think there should always be that system. i don't know i you know i know that uh, democrats love that system in california because at least the two top uh, vote getters are <laughs> well i mean i think it's a great i think it's a great system i think it gets people involved with the primary and mm-hmm. um you know it, it also allows you it means that all the voters vote in the primary so you don't have to appeal to the base voter as much, right? So sometimes you could be a moderate and still win the primary, right? So whether you're a Republican right, or a Democrat. A you, primary and a Republican primary. But in this case, in her primary, even as late as December, she was only winning 2% of the vote. But then, you know, we were talking about Chicago uh, being ethically corrupt, yep. known for it since the days of Al Capone. Then a huge scandal broke of one of the councilmen. There are 50 of them, by the way. That was something interesting to find out. 50 council members. Yep. And they all have their own little fiefdoms, too, right? It's like like the council Mm -hmm. members, even though they're on the common council, I guess it's called the Chicago Common Council, Mm -hmm. they all have their own wards. And in their wards, they have certain additional powers, almost like of the mayor, in certain extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Christy was explaining this to me. And I, of course, read more about it that, you know, Chicago's. Governance is sort of a feudal system in that way. So, uh, anyway, one of those council members, his name is Ed Burke, and he's very powerful and well, well known. He's been on the council for uh, 50 years. He got caught up in a big corruption scandal where he was trying to shake down the owner of uh, Burger King uh, franchises. Right. Uh, that that became, and then all of us, all of a sudden, Lori Lightfoot was able to position her herself in a way that most of the other candidates could not, which is being a genuine political outsider with no ties, no official ties anyway to the uh, you know Chicago political machine. Um, and also, here's the kicker, as a former federal prosecutor, she's a, she's a former assistant United States right. attorney. 
So she was able to be both, you know, appeal both to the black community for her work in uncovering police corruption, but then also to, you know, law and order voters who want to do something about Chicago, uh, you know, political corruption. So anyway, once the Burke thing happened, her candidacy really took off, and uh, she ended up winning the primary through the top two, uh, you know, top of the two vote getters, and then we saw this. Interestingly, they were both African American women, and there yeah. never been a black mayor of Chicago, and nope. and never a black woman, obviously. So mm-hmm. you had a, you had a history was going to be made one way or the other. Correct. Yes, and uh, you know that's something I chatted with uh, a friend, Olivia Morgan who is a Democratic, uh, you know, campaign consultant, that kind of thing, and also the wife of David Plus, President Obama's, you know, former campaign manager. Right. She and David, of course, spent a lot of time in Chicago. She got to know Chicago politics quite quite well. And she said, you know, once you knew that it was going to be Tony Preckwinkle, who is Lori Lightfoot's, um, you know, competitor, and Lori, then you knew you were going to make history either way. And what she thought was really, you know, telling about... Lori Lightfoot winning was what happened in the primary, how Chicago voters, uh, uh, you know, rejected Bill Daley in particular, yeah. uh, not wanting, uh, you know, a descendant of the Chicago pol- political machine and really wanting a fresh, a fresh start. They wanted a fresh start. Yes, good so, time. It's me. By the way, I'm talking to Amy Holmes. By the way, I'm talking to Amy Holmes. She is at Real Amy D. Holmes. Amy, Amy M. M. Holmes. Holmes. Amy M. Holmes <laughs> on Twitter. Amy D. Holmes. I'm sure she's a lovely lady. She's getting a she's lot of Twitter <laughs> followers because I always plug her on the show here. Uh, the, ra- the real Amy M. Holmes on Twitter. And you've seen her all over TV. You see her on Bill Maher. You see her on CNN, MSNBC. You see her on Daytime Talk. You might have even caught her on The Tick season one. Uh, actually, yeah. a friend of mine <laughs> is on the Tick season two in a similar oh, really? role to the one you had on Sick Tick season he one. Stole my, he, he stole my part? Well, it's a what? different kind of part. He plays a pundit, actually. And, oh, okay. Yeah, Tommy O'Keefe. He's a great guy. I went to high school with him. Uh, uh-huh. and he's, he's on the show, and it's kind of funny seeing him in that, in that role because I love the show. I love the Tick. It's, it's a great. I have one more That's episode fun. left in the season. Uh, but, Amy, this is interesting. So she's got a big challenge ahead of her. Huge. And even, you know, David Axelrod pointed out uh, that with the city council, with 50 city council members, with their own fiefdoms, that they're, you know, there's a lot of power, each one of them, and none of them are politically indebted to her. Right. They don't owe her any favors. Right. That, that you know, it's going to be hurting caps. And how is she, you know, what leverage does she have over them? Now, Christine Pelosi told me, Look, 74% of the vote is a mandate, right? I mean, this was an it's a huge place. mandate. 74% it's of the vote is, is, you know, it's like, it, it's as good as you get. I, I You know, yeah, Chuck Schumer absolutely. got 72% uh, in his first reelect in New York, and it was like an all-time record in New York. Oh, yes. And she won every single ward in the city, all 50. Wow. Uh, including, obviously, Tony Preckwinkle, her opponent, uh, which, of course, is, you know, again, astonishing and incredible and such an achievement. Did she take any that. people with her? Does she have allies? Because, you know, usually these political outsiders, they come in and that's a big problem for them. They don't have allies within uh, the government. Well, Christine was telling me, like, you know, look, she's going to, you know, as we said, like this is an uphill battle, very tough, and it's just she's going to be facing these bureaucrats that are burrowed into Chicago, you know, uh, city politics, Chicago city governments. And Christine used the word "burrowed in" yeah. people from the Daily and Emanuel regimes, and you know, as we know, this kind of permanent bureaucracy and permanent political machine is really, really tough to beat. 
So we'll see. And that's kind of coming full circle. I looked at all this and I thought, my goodness, why does she even want the job? I understand wanting to reform Chicago. There's so much to do, wanting to serve your fellow citizens. I visited Chicago last summer. And, you know, Chris, I think something for that a lot of people don't understand that I didn't until I visited last summer, um, I was there to observe the DNC summer meeting, is just how geographically vast Chicago oh, it's is. huge. It's unbelievable. So I, uh, well, that's the thing about Chicago. I mean, there are some very, very beautiful parts of Chicago. I mean, the lakefront mm-hmm. is amazing. And and then there are some very distressed parts of Chicago on the outskirts yeah. of Chicago, out away from the out, center. I was going to say, when we say outskirts, we're talking 40 minutes to an hour. So while I was there, I went to a church service uh, on the south side to check it out and um, at a church that's led by an ex-con turned pastor. And I was, I was curious and took a cab from downtown, jumped in the cab. When I tell the cab driver where I'm going, he pretends that he can't figure out where that is, and no, no, you'll need to get a different tab. I'm like, just put it on your GPS. I have the address. And he's like, no, no, I, I, I won't be able to do that. I can't figure that out. Wow. And I'm like, oh, okay, I see what's going on. So I get out of the cab, hail a second one who, you know, takes me there, go to the service. When I was, and it was a 40-minute ride. I thought, oh, my 40 minutes goodness. in a car. Can you imagine what it is on mass yeah. transit? Exactly. And this is still, you're in Chicago. Wow. Going, driving to the south side. Go to the service. It was, you know, fascinating. Actually, really emotional. I'm not religious, but uh, the just the hope and all of that at the service. And again, a lot of it was. Well, maybe you should uh, go there and work for this woman. I know she's not of your party. I know you're a conservative, <laughs> but you know, I know you're you're also. I, don't think I have any special insights about how to wrangle all of those. Uh, you know. Well, no, but you would be able to help her communicate what she's doing, and I think sometimes that's the most important part, right? You yeah. have to, I mean, she's well, clearly, she's a prosecutor, so she's got mm-hmm. the ability to go through there and look at what's going on and weed out any bad actors, but what she's going to need is somebody who's going to push back on these professional politicians that are supporting that system and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and who are skilled communicators and who are politicians. Mm-hmm. She's going to need somebody like that to kind of come in there and help her communicate to the general public, because if she could bring the public along with everything she's doing and not allow her yeah. opponents to define her, she'll be more successful. Well, and that's part of also what I found so impressive about her, um, you know, her big landslide victory last week was her opponent, Tony Preckwinkle, did try, of course, because it's politics, did try to negatively define her to voters. Right. Uh, a person on her campaign even posted on Facebook comparing Lily Lightfoot to a Nazi. Man. Uh, Democratic Congressman Bobby Rush, two weeks before the election, at a rally, told voters that if they voted for Lori Lightfoot, they would have blood on their hands, uh, and implying, you know, another uh, supporter, Chance the Rapper. I don't know. I don't listen to his music, so I don't know who he is. Oh, yeah, he's a huge star. I mean, I, I, look, I, a lot of times people say people's names like that. I don't know who they are. I know who Chance the Rapper is. Come on. You know who Chance the Rapper is? <laughs> no, What's wrong with you, Amy? <laughs> I, I still use a Blackberry, okay? Have you heard that Mary Lou Retton is doing <laughs> commercials for menopause medication? <laughs> That's, That's driving right. me a little nutty today. <laughs> Chuck Woolery does a lot of ads, too. Uh, is he selling silver and gold? I don't know. Yeah, but the fact uh, that Mary Lou Retton, who I always remember as this little girl, I mean, she was older than me when, I w- when she won gold, but she was like so 14 cute. or 15 years old, and yeah. now she's doing menopause ads. I still think of her as the 14-year-old doing flips oh, in the 1984 God. Olympics. Oh, don't tell me. It's going make, to make me feel old. Um, oh, but I, I did want to finish the story about... Quickly, because I only have about a minute left with you. 
Okay. Uh, going to the church service. When it was done, I called the cab company to come get me. None of them would. Wow. I had to call company after company. I'm standing there melting in the Chicago heat of the summer of August. Finally, an hour and a half later, after I demanded one of the cab companies give me the cell phone of the closest cab so I could plead with the driver directly. Wow. Come get me. Finally, the driver did. Moral of the story, next time you go to Chicago, rent the car, Amy. Rent a car. Or get an Uber. They don't have Uber in Chicago? (laughs) Uh, I have no idea, but... Uh, it just pointed out to me, and it really underscored to me the uh, geographic segregation of Chicago. It's crazy. Well, that's something that you should write. You should write more about that too, Amy Holmes. Yeah. You are one of the best. What oh, do you? Thank you. Thanks for letting me talk about this piece and Lori Lightfoot. Uh, uh, it's a great piece. Where can, where can people find the piece? Yes, they can find it online at the Swiss magazine that I write for. It's a weekly magazine, and it's called Die Weltwoche. That's D I E V E L T. V-O-C-H-E, or W-O-C-H-E, or they can go to my Twitter feed, at Real A.M. Holmes, where I've linked to it multiple times. I would love it if readers went there, clicked, read it, shared their reactions, That's great. and uh, I'll get into conversation. Amy Holmes, always great. Thanks, Thanks for joining me, Amy. The time goes Thank too quick. You, Thank you. I love it. All right, so that's Amy. And that's the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you check me out on Twitter, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Um, at Christopher Hahn NY on Instagram. I'm having no luck on Instagram, but hopefully you'll check me out there. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Seek the Truth America. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it. And I'll be back here next week to talk to you about it. Have a great week. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? 
It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.